0: If someone from Dublin does it, he actually doesn't... He's not telling it. Ah, this is culture bias. This is See, bias against cultures, does, here yeah, but So we the, can't say it, but you can say it. Yes. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.
1: Off the ball. This is News Talk.
0: Now, a very special Friday treat for all of us. Um, I'm delighted to say we've got Jeff Benedict back on the show with us because his new book, simply titled LeBron, is out. It's available in uh, on audiobook and it's available uh, to read. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. However you get your books and however you consume them these days, it is now available. Um, Jeff, good afternoon to you. How are you? Good afternoon. Um, I've been listening to some of the interviews you've been doing over the last while and it struck me that <coughs> you you write these books, you do loads and loads of interviews and then you distill them into 470 pages and another 80 pages of notes. Uh, but you you're not really asked to give your opinion throughout that. And then the first thing that everybody does when they speak to you is to... So explain to us what you think about this. And that's a kind of a strange thing where sometimes maybe you're actually speaking into existence for the first time. Actually, the, this, this is my view. These are my thoughts. That's kind of a strange thing in a way.
1: Uh, <clears throat> you're right. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I lost my voice. It is strange because when you're a biographer. The whole challenge is to write the book from the point of view of the subject not from your own point of view and that's so i'm in a mindset for years where i'm not thinking about my own point of view i'm thinking about how to tell the story from lebron's point of view or tiger woods's point of view and then after it's all over obviously my opinions and views towards the subject change they evolve over the course of years of working on something like this and certainly with lebron that's happened i i only knew the superficial stuff about LeBron when I started. In other words, I know what, what a casual fan knows, and that's all. And um, when that's all you know, it's a pretty limited surface view of a subject. Um, the idea of getting intimate with the subject over time, it what it does for me at least is it gives me a much deeper textured appreciation for who the man is, who the human being is, And um, in the end, regardless of how you feel about him as an athlete or what he's done in his life, there's just a respect. I mean, I had the same thing happen with Tiger um, where I came away. I was not a Tiger Woods fan when I started working on that biography. I wasn't necessarily a LeBron James fan. Um, But when I came when I got to the end of the project, the appreciation that I felt for both of them um, was just much, much deeper. Um, the
0: the status that LeBron has, um, and the the colossal nature of the life that he's led up to this point, when he's still a young man, I think I, I, that's why the book is so big in a way. Because like you have to try and capture as, as much of this as you possibly can. Uh, at a superficial level, when you obviously you're drawn to the, to to do this, was was that your instinct already that you kind of had a sense that he does intersect with so many different lives? You, you talk about the the Vogue cover with Giselle, you talk about politics, you talk about, um, the arts. Like it's just, it's, it's ridiculous how many aspects of American cultural life he's been involved in before we get to the basketball. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I, I, the word you used in your, at the setup for this question, you used the word colossal and, and that's a, it's a great word actually for a descriptor of LeBron. Um, and I'm not name dropping when I say what I'm about to say to answer your question. But just think about the relationships that he formed in in the short amount of time at the beginning of his career. It's Michael Jordan. It's Jay-Z. It's Warren Buffett. It's Barack Obama. It's Michelle Obama. And um, none of these people are um, in the NBA. I mean, Jordan was. but. We're already talking about a guy who's veering off into all these areas in his early and mid 20s. And if you just think about where were you in your life at 22? And if I, I I said this to myself the whole time I was writing the book, I would say to myself, What was I doing when I was 23 or 24 or 26? Um, I've still never been in the Oval Office, I'm 57. And I've been involved in politics in America, but I've never been in the Oval Office. I've never had private meetings with the president of the United States in his house. There's so many things that LeBron James did at a very, very young age. And that's why I wanted to start the book and spend as much time as I did in his youth, because what you realize when you look at his youth is he was doing things as a teenager that most adults never do. But he was doing them as a teen, as a minor, as someone who wasn't old enough to own a driver's license or wasn't old enough to go into a bar and drink alcohol. Yet he was doing all these other things that um, I think in many ways primed him to be able to do the things he's done as an adult.
0: There's loads of amazing details that I want to get into. I did have the intention of, uh, as ever in these conversations, we get waylaid. But of starting with where we finished our last conversation with you, which was about you too, because Bono has this tiny little cameo in the book, but it's actually really, really, really important.
1: It is. And uh, that's right. We did end our last interview there when we talked about the dynasty and the Patriots, because uh, you too has a bigger role there. But Bono makes an, look, I have to admit, this is a bias. So when I say I tell a story from the point of view of the subject, I do. But inevitably, some of the things that are important to me work their way into the narrative. And music is really important to me. I think music is an incredibly important part of culture, not just in America, but around the globe. And, um, and Bono is a colossal figure in his own right. And so when LeBron goes to miami he becomes the most hated athlete in america he also becomes a bigger worldwide figure because of the reaction to him in america and that's the darkest period of his professional career is that first year in miami which is capped off with them losing the championship to the dallas mavericks which they should not have done and were not supposed to do and lebron goes into a cocoon that summer of 2011. So one summer after that announcement that he was going to take his talents to South beach, he then loses to the Mavericks and he shelters himself in a house in Miami and he doesn't come out. He doesn't, he's with no one. His, his wife's not there. His parent, his mother's not there. No friends. When he finally does come out of that, one of the first people he encounters is Bono in Miami because U2 was on tour and they happened to be playing in Miami and LeBron and his fiance had an opportunity to meet privately with Bono. And it just dawned on me as I was looking at that timeline that this is interesting because by this time, there aren't many people on the planet who are more famous than LeBron and who have had situations that are perhaps a little more complicated and difficult than the things LeBron has been through as a public figure. Bono is one of those people. And here LeBron is in a moment of time where he's private with someone like that. And so I did include that anecdote in the narrative because I thought it was just fascinating, partly because it shows the cross-section of people that he intersects with, there aren't many people Who can get a private audience with with Bono on a tour, but just like there aren't many people that can walk into the Oval Office and get a meeting with the President of the United States, LeBron can do both. And you're not overselling it or overstating
0: it because the one of the Miami papers had the headline "LeBron James Still Arrive Meets U2" or "goes to U2 concert." So he'd literally disappeared in the aftermath of losing the NBA Championship Finals. And you can just imagine the deep level of schadenfreude that there was around the basketball world and the wider communities like, oh, you've set yourself up here, haven't you? And now all of a sudden, when it comes down to it, you can't deliver on this dream team. Who the hell do you think you are? So I'm not, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear some audio of the conversation and what Bono <laughs> is saying to him. Because he does, he posts a picture afterwards, like
1: reemerging. Yes. Um He did. And I... um. I have no idea what was said that that night. I suspect it was nothing deep, but um, I could certainly imagine a scenario, like if I were a screenwriter writing a movie script and using that scene, you'd have Bono thinking to himself something along the lines of, this is nothing, lad. Uh, Been through a lot of things. You'll be fine. Uh,
0: The other, there's another aspect to this, that this part of the world, we are very, very familiar with um, FSG's ownership of Liverpool. And it's funny, that's also kind of, that happens very, very close in, in time where LeBron does a deal with FSG and has a minority. We don't know how small the stake is, but it, you know, obviously it's not nothing. Turns out football clubs yeah. are worth a lot of money. So 1% of that is still a lot of money. But far more importantly, you make the point that he starts to get really good quality advice on uh, crisis management, reputation management. And there's a, a kind of pre and post decision LeBron, uh, certainly from a public perspective and a strategic perspective. And that might be the, the not the saving of it, because he was always going to be redeemed. He was always going to be saved. But there's it's, it's it's really, really important building block in LeBron becoming the leader that he becomes afterwards.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, he was pilloried here in the United States for the way he announced his decision to leave Cleveland and go to Miami. I mean, he was a punching bag. He was a target. Um, He was lampooned on national late night talk shows and comedies. It was a rough time. And I I think it's important when you're trying to understand um, an athlete or, or any subject that you're writing a biography about, you can't just write about all the highs, you know, the wins, the championships, the great moments. You really have to lean into the low moments, the valleys. And LeBron's had some valleys. He's had some, some, some challenges, some setbacks, some hard things that he's gone through. And I tried to really live in those moments because it helps you appreciate when he comes out of them. And I, I think that that was a major turning point. And that's why I chose to open the book there. I mean, the book opens, as you know, with him driving in a car to the announcement that he's going to make on ESPN. And in that moment, he has no idea what's around the corner. He thinks everything is perfect. He thinks this is going to be great. And he's going to fly off to Miami and win championships. There's a huge blind spot, not just by him. But by the team that's around him, they don't see what is about to happen. And to me, that's a metaphor for life. Like a lot of us, maybe not at that scale, but a lot of us have things that happen to us that we didn't anticipate. And then when they happen, you say to yourself, I should have seen that coming. And, and I was trying to part of what you do in these biographies is it's it is hard for the average guy, a guy like me. A guy like you, the people who listen to your show, it's hard for them, for us to really understand what it's like to be Tiger Woods or LeBron James or Tom Brady or one of these guys. But what you can do is you you can put some of their circumstances in a context that people can go, yeah, I can relate to that. And that's what this is. This is a mistake that he steps into because he has a blind spot. And it's one of the times in his life that people could actually look at it if they're being honest and go, I could relate to that. I can't relate to announcing my next job on ESPN. We're not going to do that. But it's not to say that we haven't made mistakes in our lives that we wish we could take back. And the difference is we just didn't have the whole world criticizing us. And so I, I thought that there were a lot of reasons to open his biography in that moment.
0: I think, too, the response to it is is really illustrative. Um, he he seeks out better advice and better coaching, and he goes back to his high school coach. But I, I, I'm kind of mildly obsessed with the fact that FSG are massively important in helping him to just be a sounding board uh, for that next stage. Because I think that opens up the humility and the desire. Again, maybe, maybe it doesn't open up, but it certainly... Uh, it unfurls it maybe for the rest of the public, and he stops making those bad decisions, like the decision.
1: The I, I think the relationship. No, you're right. The relationship with FSG is. It's hard to overstate how significant that is in his life. On one hand, financially, it's enormously important because of the expertise that it exposes him to. Uh, his financial advisor. An investing advisor, um, the other corporate executives that he meets as a result of that relationship, the fact that he is able to buy minority ownership stakes, not just in a football club in Europe, but also one of the top baseball franchises in America, the Boston Red Sox. The fact that LeBron owns stakes in professional sports teams while he's playing professional sports is unprecedented. The fact that he becomes a billionaire while he's still playing. I mean, Michael Jordan's a billionaire, but he wasn't a billionaire while he was playing. He became a billionaire after. LeBron became a billionaire as a active basketball player and his relationship with FSG has a lot to do with that. And so you make a good point. You you can't overstate the significance of that relationship and what it's opened up in terms of opportunities for LeBron. And it is partly why he's more of a global figure. That relationship and his relationship with Nike, the Nike relationship obviously makes him a massive public figure in countries like China, Germany, uh, France, these other countries where he goes in the summertime as an ambassador for Nike and does clinics and camps and becomes a household name.
0: It, let's come back to the, the um, shoes in a minute, but the, the, the one thing that it seems he's managed to do, despite the fact he's now getting much better advice, is that he has remained authentic to his uh, really difficult upbringing and the circumstances in which he came into the world and authentic to being a leader of people. Which is difficult to do when you're actually you know media trained to within an inch of your life you don't say anything you never you never right you never take advantage of the the public platform you have you kind of navigate your way through republicans buy sneakers too there, there was none of that with yeah. him you know no
1: no it, it's refreshing like in the first is as, as a leader of people to me the first sign that he was a real leader of people was when he was in high school And after his freshman year of high school, when his best friend on the team, Maverick Carter, graduated. So he's he was he was a senior when LeBron was a freshman. They played together for one year and then Maverick graduated. And so there's a void on the team. They've lost the captain. They've lost one of their best players. And that summer after his freshman year, LeBron recruits a player from another team to come to his high school. And he's a player that the other LeBron's other teammates and friends, they don't like this other kid. They don't want him to come onto their team. But LeBron wants him because he's a good player and he can help them win. He convinces the other guys to allow this kid to come on. And the only reason this kid comes on is because he wants to play with LeBron. And they win the championship that next year. And you see then that LeBron has the ability to bring people together to be a leader. He does it in a quiet way, but he does it. If you fast forward to the time period you're talking about, his ability to lead people has been refined more. And and so there is an authenticity and organicness to his, when you see him tweet on social media, it's really obvious that someone else isn't writing those tweets. These are genuinely LeBron's, he's the one pecking on the phone, typing those words in. He When he said, you bum, to President Trump, that wasn't some fancy handler who did that. That was LeBron in the moment reacting and asserting himself. And he really did that in defense of Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors who President Trump had attacked. And LeBron stepped right in and, and attacked right back. And that kind of authenticity has always been there with him. When LeBron didn't want to talk about China in 2007, heading into the Beijing Olympics, he said that he didn't feel like he knew enough to weigh in. Now, some people saw that as him dodging the question. I looked at it as like, this is a guy acknowledging that he doesn't know enough to open his mouth. A couple years later, when Trayvon Martin gets killed here in the United States, LeBron feels like he knows enough to, to weigh in, and he does. And we've seen him as he's evolved and got older, become more and more comfortable and assertive in weighing in on big things outside of basketball that Michael Jordan would never get anywhere near.
0: Does that suggest there's a possibility of a political career down the line?
1: well i think what it demonstrates is that when you talk about what does lebron do after basketball there are almost no instances in american history where you can point to an athlete who retired from the sport and then went into a successful career in politics we've had a few senator bill bradley who played for the New York Knicks and became a very distinguished senator from New Jersey. But there aren't a lot of instances of that when you think about how many athletes we've had. LeBron actually has an open lane. If he ever wanted to go into politics, he's actually got more than one location where he could do that. He could go back to Ohio, where he's from. He could stay in California, where he currently resides. And he's demonstrated an ability to be a great public speaker, he relates to the younger generation, which is so important if you're going to be a successful politician. LeBron relates to the young people. He knows how to speak their language, to talk on their level, but he also knows how to meet with people like presidents and princes and CEOs and captains of industry. He's been doing it for 20 years. So I think the answer is yes. If he wanted to do that, there's a lane for him now the question is does he want to do that and i suspect now is not the time to even think about that you know he's thinking right now about does he want to continue playing and for how long
0: it, it sounds like your instinct from from listening to you uh, over the last couple of weeks or sorry the last week really because the announcement is only or the, the 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 question was asked about what happens next and he's like oh i've got to really think about this now your instinct seems to be that this might be it that that uh, last week's shutout might
1: be the end of LeBron. Well, <clears throat> what I what I've been saying is that I think the the place that he's reached in his career and in his life, this crossroads he's at, is a, There are very few athletes who've been at the crossroads he's at. Look, every athlete has to confront the end at some point. Every athlete. The further you go in your career as an athlete. In other words the longer you're on the stage or in the game or in the arena the harder that end game becomes michael jordan retired but couldn't stay away and then he came back when he was older and played for a couple more years at a level that was subpar to what everyone was used to tom brady stayed in the game till he was 45. And, and LeBron has played for 20 years. And so what I'm saying is he's being really honest when he says, I have a lot to think about. And part of what I have to think about is whether to continue playing. It's, it's not a physical quandary for him. He has the skill level and his body is still conditioned like a Formula One race car. I mean, it's, he can do it. It's more of a mental question at this point. It's like, can you get your mind into doing this again? Because it's a slog to commit to the season-long effort to do this for another year for him at age 39 when you're married with three children and your children are now approaching that age where they're going off to college. He's got a lot more on his plate. It's, to the, it's the very same thing that Tom Brady was talking about when he was saying, I've got a lot on my plate. I have things to think about that most guys playing football don't need to think about. I have to think about them. That's where LeBron is. And so I'm saying is it wouldn't shock me if he walked away. It also wouldn't surprise me if he continues to play for another year or two because he's certainly capable of it. And I think as the summer wears on and he has time to contemplate and consult with the people that are closest to him, he'll arrive at a decision, but I just think he's being very genuine when he says, I have a lot to think about.
0: Um, There's also a a great scene in the book that I wanted to ask you about. It's um, Grant Wall, who would be familiar to listeners of the show. He would have been on uh, from time to time talking about football and American who tragically passed away at the World Cup. Um, One of his big breaks is actually writing the first cover story for Sports Illustrated uh, where he actually manages to convince LeBron to spend some time with him um and it's on the road to meet Michael Jordan for the first time it's just an incredible moment of serendipity where uh, old fashioned good journalism and a bit of charm gets him into a rental car with LeBron
1: and his mates it was one of my uh favorite stories to write for the book because i knew i had to deal with the fact that LeBron was on the cover of sports illustrated as a teenager And he was called The Chosen One. Everybody in America and a lot of sports fans outside America are familiar with that cover. It's one of the most famous covers in the history of Sports Illustrated. So I had to write about it. The challenge was, what can I say about it that we don't already know? And so I went to Grant Wall and um, I did some great interviews with him. And what I was trying to understand is how did this come about? because that part of it I think would be revelatory and interesting to readers. And uh, Grant was great. And he basically took me inside the process of walking into the locker room after a high school basketball practice where LeBron's team is, you know, they come into the locker room to get changed into their street clothes to go home. And that night LeBron and his friends were due to go to Cleveland to watch Michael Jordan who had come out of retirement and was playing that night in Cleveland. And LeBron had passes to go to get into the game. And Grant Wall goes up to him in the locker room and he knew he only had like 15, 20 seconds to make a pitch to LeBron. And he really wanted to convince him to let LeBron, to let him drive LeBron and his friends to the game so they could use the drive time to try to build a rapport. And I looked at it from, okay, so that's the point of view of Grant Wall, the writer. That's a great point of view to have. But what's LeBron's point of view? And LeBron's point of view, it's interesting because he's looking at this guy who Grant Wall was not famous yet as a writer. He this is the story that actually catapults him into becoming a big name writer. At this point, he's not that he's not known. LeBron didn't know who he was. And he doesn't really write that much about basketball. He would go on to be a great soccer writer, right? And, and so LeBron doesn't call his mother from the school and say, hey, what do you think about this? Should I do it? He doesn't ask his coach, can I talk to you for a minute? What do you think about this? He doesn't consult anyone. He makes a decision as a teenager on whether to trust this journalist, and get in a rental car with him and take a ride. And that's why I called the chapter Get in the Car, because in a moment, LeBron made a decision, an instinctive one, to get in that car. And by doing so, it does change. I don't want to say change the course of his life. He was headed this way anyways. But in terms of what it opened up for him, it changes a lot. And I think it, it tells us something about how LeBron thinks and operates. And then later that night, you know, two things happen. When they get to the arena, if you're a journalist, there's two ways into an arena to watch a sporting event. You either buy a ticket or you have a credential around your neck that says, I'm with the media, I get to get in for free. Well, Grant Wall didn't have a ticket And he didn't have a credential because he didn't know he was going to be doing this. And so one of the things he was worried about on the ride up was how he was going to get into the arena. And the thing that's funny is when they got there and they go to the VIP window and LeBron gets his passes, the person handing out the passes looks at this guy who's with him. It's like, who's this guy? And you have LeBron and his friends saying, he's with us. And Grant Wall gets in. Well, there aren't many people who can do that. And then take it a step further. After the game's over, LeBron goes into the tunnel to to meet who? To meet Michael Jordan. There's one person that Michael Jordan comes out to meet after the game, and it's this teenager from Akron named LeBron. And Grant Wall is watching Michael and LeBron talk to each other like big brother to little brother. And I just think those moments, to see that on the page, now that's stuff you don't normally see and you're seeing point of view from both the writer and the the athlete in that moment.
0: Uh so he's 16, 17 at this stage? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive to like uh, not be he's overwhelmed. 16. 16. Uh, 16. Not overwhelmed by Michael Jordan in any way. Um to be able to just I'm I'm picking up tickets Jordan left him for me, you know, and and he's actually still signing autographs, so it, it's it's kind of this brief pre explosion moment and, and actually the explosion I mean it doesn't just happen I think he's already been on the cover of Slam maybe by this stage but Sports yes. Illustrated is a coming out party
1: yes yeah because Slam Slam had been around for I don't know maybe 10 years at that point but Slam was not a widely read national publication like Sports Illustrated they're not even in the same universe in terms of their reach and their impact um, to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated is a statement and for them to deem him the chosen one and the heir to Air Jordan, that's a tremendous announcement to make. And as a result, ESPN makes a decision of their own to start televising LeBron's high school games in primetime slots. That had never been done before. And so it's like one thing leads to another. And once he's on national TV in high school, and people like dick vital and bill walton are broadcasting his games his world is changing and it's and it's changing so rapidly that it's almost hard to keep up
0: and in the middle of it all he has his uh high school mates you mentioned maverick who was the team captain he's been blessed with his mates having cool names um and but they're still with him they're still with him to this day and that's his trusted circle and very few people get in uh, it's an incredible uh, one thing that we haven't really spoken about Jeff is, is that um, th- that he was born into a destitute situation like uh, I, I don't know if everybody kind of is entirely familiar with that certainly I was only casually aware I was a difficult upbringing you know single mum difficult but we kind of we have shorthand but actually it's it's genuine earth shattering poverty that he's raised in
1: it is and um <laughs> When I was, there's a reason that I spent as much time in those couple of early chapters, because I wanted to be as graphically descriptive as I could so that you could actually see it as opposed to some writer trying to tell you what it's like. This is something you need to see and, and feel. Um, if you've never experienced hunger, if you've never experienced homelessness, if you've never experienced the utter absence of a father figure or loneliness, it's hard to tell somebody what that's like that hasn't lived it. So the closest thing I think a writer can do is show someone what that is. You need to look at it. Like you need to peek in and see it. And that's what I was trying to do there in those early chapters with LeBron. And when I was working on those chapters, I was thinking I often think about literature and fictional characters. And that's why I thought of Charles Dickens there. And I thought of characters like Pip that he created. Because they kind of give you the, you, you sense what that is now. And that's what I thought of with LeBron. LeBron is his childhood is very much like a Charles Dickens character, except this isn't fiction. This is not a novel. This is actually real. This is what he emerged from. It's what makes the arc of his story, you know, just the fact that he's a billionaire today, that he said when he was, I think, 20 years old, that he wanted to be a billionaire when he was 20. Um, And then he did it. Like, he is that now. When you look at where he was when he was born, and the first house he lived in, which was condemned and knocked down by a bulldozer. When you look at those facts, you go, wow, like that actually happened. And to me, it was the epitome of we have this thing in our country we call the American dream, which is an overused cliche. But LeBron actually achieved it. It, To me, this is like the ultimate American dream story, realized. And um, and that's why I I thought of Dickens often. He is one of my favorite authors, but I just thought of the character development he did with a lot of people in his novels. And I kept thinking LeBron is like that. He, he really is. And um, whereas I looked at Tiger Woods more like a Shakespearean character, you know, it's like you kind of knew there's there's sadness coming. Um, whereas with LeBron you feel like there's sunshine coming. You just got to wait for it.
0: Yeah, Tiger, there's a bit bit of Greek tragedy off uh, Tiger as well, where his fatal flaws have condemned him forever. Although actually, he's kind of made a a late career recovery. It's all working out in the end. That's okay.
1: Sorry about that. It's LeBron.
0: As a matter of interest, um, do you expect uh, any word from the LeBron camp about their happiness or otherwise? Uh, is that is that how this whole process works? Or is it like a studied silence that they keep? Because they, they haven't kept silent with Buzz Bissinger, for example, who they, they worked with in the past.
1: Yeah. Um, normally, I don't expect anything from the subjects. You know, uh, it, it, there's some distance <clears throat> between the writer and the subject in these kinds of projects, and there should be. It's a it's a it's a separation that you need and um i think that it's it's important to keep it that way so that the objectivity is there and um it in some ways protects the writer but it also protects the subject you know he can truthfully say i didn't have anything to do with this and i can truthfully say the same thing and um so the portrait is what it is um and, and I think that's how it should be. It's different than when you're commissioned. I've been commissioned by people before. You know, Steve Young, who's a very famous American athlete and quarterback, commissioned me to write his biography. He paid me. It was his project. And so um, that's how it goes. And um, but this is not that I wasn't commissioned by LeBron. It's not his project. Um,
0: To go back to the the Colossus point, we haven't really spoken about the basketball that much in this, and we've done nearly half an hour on it. That is kind of, I think, the bit where he has crossed over. um, And there are very, very few people who reach that level in in the world, but certainly in America, you know, especially in the culture where everybody gets famous for 15 minutes, the, the latest influencers or whatever. And again, there's been some people who have managed to cross over from their short period of influence, into the mainstream um and i i what is it what is it about lebron that has has sustained him for that period of time because obviously the basketball is at the center of it
1: yeah i think the basketball the fact that lebron has kept his body in such great condition for so long he's been so disciplined for so long and he's never been satisfied I think is the the thing he's never been satisfied with what he's achieved and attained he's always wanted to keep going to go further um and because basketball has been the calling card for him to experience so many other great things in his life to provide for his family the way he has i just think he's he's wanted to keep it going for as long as he can and um he understands Better than most athletes, better than almost all athletes. He's really appreciated, I think, that sports is show business. At the end of the day, professional sports is show business, like Hollywood films and music and, and Broadway plays. It's show business. And he is a world class entertainer, you know, and he likes to entertain. He likes to be the center of attention and be on the stage with the lights on. And I think, you know, he's been really good at that, but as long as he's maintained center stage, it's also allowed him to pursue all the other things that he's interested in cares about and keep him relevant in all those other areas. Now the question is what's it going to look like when he's not center stage in basketball, but I think he's done enough as a basketball player to solidify himself that when he walks off the stage, he will remain a, a, a prominent fixture in American culture, even though he's not playing basketball anymore.
0: Yeah, it's um, it, the the recovery of his relationship with Cleveland and the whole Believeland chapter, uh, it's so remarkable to be able to come back from being the whore of Akron, you know, uh, and, and like the title, so catchy, the book so good, it stuck uh and then to be the one who delivers to this city bereft of any glory uh, so often for so long that they were such a joke a factory of sadness um and for it all to happen in such a remarkable comic book way it's it it is ridiculous it like it is if you write it in a in a, a movie everybody goes well this is crap cuz it could never possibly happen like, he, right. you know, a teenage sensation. They get the first pick. Luckily, he stays there. He, he brings him to a point of nearly getting there and then they don't make it. And then it's like, ah, that's
1: never going to happen. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the cliche fact is better than fiction. And one of the things I the, one of the reasons I enjoy writing about. Uh, great athletes so much is because great athletes do things. That if you wrote it as a fictional story, wouldn't, people would not believe. That's one of the great things about watching live sports is you see things that if you didn't see them with your own eyes, you wouldn't believe. And LeBron and Tiger Woods and Tom Brady, Serena Williams, these are the kind of athletes who have, they have stories, their their life story is filled with things that if you if they weren't real, they would be unimaginable and would seem silly in a somebody somebody from ireland keeps calling me i oh. thought it was your show because <laughs> i don't know anyone in ireland all right but uh, but uh but anyways i i think that that's what it is and that's what's the beauty of it is this is not fiction it's it's the real thing yeah one last thing is the son good enough to play in the nba i don't know i can't even begin to assess that i've, I've never seen him play so i don't know um it's also hard to tell at this stage um whether that's even um possible i i but i'm not a good person to ask that because i've never seen him play and i didn't really focus on that you know that's like a another chapter of his life that's in the future yeah but uh, but it's here it's here now because he's going to go to college next year and start playing and then I think it'll start to become clear once he's playing, he'll be on television next year and the whole country will see him play and it'll start to become clear whether he actually is capable of playing in the NBA. But I don't know the answer to that.
0: No pressure on that kid. But um, you were making the point somewhere I heard that uh, LeBron has been a a brilliant father again, you know, making up for uh, man hands on misery to man it deepens like a continental shelf except he's, he's been the one who stopped the thing in his family where the, the father left or was unavailable for parental duties he's been a great father the whole way through um, I, I don't know I, I, you can't but read the book and not come away uh, notwithstanding the fact that nobody's perfect but feeling a, a warmth about LeBron James the human being
1: yeah and that certainly happened to me um the the opportunities to showcase some of his experiences without a dad and how sad that was and painful to go through many moments there's a moment when he's a kid and he's on an airplane for the first time the first time lebron flies on an airplane he's going to salt lake city in utah to play in a youth basketball tournament and he cries a lot on that flight and his youth coach he knew why he was crying and there's just a lot of moments where if LeBron had a dad who was with him and could put an arm around him things would have been different so you juxtapose that with later in his life LeBron is the one who's in a position to put an arm around his son and be the dad that he didn't have now look our country is full of men who grew up without dads. I mean, it's not like fatherlessness is unique in our culture. There's a lot of that in America. And a lot, of dad, a lot of young men who grew up without dads don't become great dads in their own right. It's almost like they repeat what they went through. LeBron's one of those guys who vowed to himself that he wasn't going to be that. He was going to be a different kind of father. No one ever had to tell him how important it was to be a good dad or coach him to be a good dad. The point is he wanted to be the kind of father that he didn't have. And that's why you see this commitment level, which I thought, how can you write a biography about a great basketball player and not focus on that? Because that is a lot. Of, that says a lot about the character of the man that you're watching on television play basketball, and his fatherhood bleeds into a lot of what he does as a basketball player. And there's so many moments where it, it actually goes right into the games at times, where the broadcasters who are televising the games are talking about LeBron as a father. That, that's how big it is. And so, um, so I tried to just flesh that out a little bit in the narrative. Uh,
0: it's a, a towering work, and unlike LeBron, it contains a multitude. As a matter of interest, how, how, I know you're not going to announce it on ESPN, but you can announce it here. What is your next work, Jeff? What, how do you follow this up?
1: I, unfortunately, I can't announce it anywhere, ah, okay. but I, I'm just doing another biography. <laughs> right. When do we get to talk to you about it? When it's finished, which, uh, you know, these things take time, as you know. Yeah. So, But I, I promise you that I will come back on and, and we'll talk. pick it up where we left off, from the dynasty to LeBron to the next one.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, well, look, I'm, I'd love to make some guesses, but maybe we can do that off air. I wish you the very best of luck with it, and thanks a million for making the time. You've been very good. The book is called LeBron, and it's available everywhere. Go and get it.
1: It's brilliant. Thank you. It's a privilege. Off the Ball on News Talk.